Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Today we're all about kariaria, the New Zealand falcon or sparrowhawk as it's often known. We have two birds of prey in New Zealand, the widespread native swamp harrier, which is found throughout Australasia, and the endemic falcon. We used to have more, including the mighty Harst Eagle, as well as Isles Harrier, but they're now sadly extinct. For many years, falcons were considered to be very rare. But in recent years, they've been making a bit of a comeback in some quite unexpected places. In central Wellington suburbs, for example, they're now a regular sight and sound. That's the call of a female New Zealand falcon, and it's one you'll hear in some vineyards in Marlborough and the Wairarapa. They've been introduced there to hunt the small birds which are a nuisance because they eat the grapes. Our falcon guide is ornithologist Graham Parker from Parker Conservation. We are heading to another perhaps unexpected kind of falcon habitat, a forestry block on the Tairi coast near Dunedin Airport. We have to check on three falcon nests that Graham is following this year. This area was harvested almost two years ago now. It was Pinus radiata and now has been planted in radiata. So it looks like a sort of somewhat devastated landscape. Although there are patches of native um, timber around and still some mature Pinus radiata too. Now what are we in search of? We're looking for native falcons, so Karearia, New Zealand falcon. Um, they love these areas after the, um, the forest has been removed. Um, they usually set up camp and breed in these uh, clear-cut areas. What can you tell me about the birds we're going to see? Um, so this pair, they nested in this um, clear-cut area last year, so two adults, and we caught and banded those so we can identify them as individuals. We also banded their three chicks, none of which have been seen since, but they might show up at some point. So we're getting close and you reckon they're probably watching us by now? Yes, yeah, we're about probably, what, 250 300 metres from the nest here. Oh, there's a male up in the air there, just over the top of the trees. Oh, right. And this is kind of a classic position, really. They like the clear-cut areas, but they really like something tall um, beside that so they can keep really good vantage over the nest area so they can see anything coming, any threats to that nest. So tell me what's interesting from a falcon point of view about this habitat. We're interested in it, A, because it's forestry, and so the falcons um, have to interact with sort of industrial harvesting, and so we're interested to see how that goes, and working very closely with forestry companies to find ways we can mitigate the impact of harvesting, if there is any, on the falcon nesting. But the habitat's interesting because falcons have been quite well studied in the North Island, in Kaigaroa, but... Kangaroa is quite unique in the New Zealand context because it's a huge contiguous area of plantation forestry and it's relatively flat, whereas most of New Zealand, the forestry, a lot of plantation forestry, is more like what we have here in Otago where there's patches of plantation forestry but then there's patches of farmland, patches of sort of scrub and then lifestyle blocks 
urban areas. Here there's wetlands, there's a river, there's lakes. So it's a bit more of a diverse sort of habitat. We want to learn more about how falcons fare in those habitats. So it's a real mosaic habitat for them, isn't it? But with the pines, it changes quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what we don't know, really. The, it seems like once the trees come up or the scrub comes up into a clear-cut area, it becomes undesirable for falcons pretty quickly. And so you don't sort of have the rotational harvesting um, in the, these areas in the same way as you do in Kaingaroa. Once this habitat becomes unsuitable, for example, where we're standing, the next piece of forestry that's been clear-cut could be quite a ways away. And so we're wondering how good falcons are finding some of those blocks too. Almost definitely still active this nest, so I should have brought you a hat. So why is it important that I have a hat? Well, the falcons fiercely defend their nesting area, and the male at the moment is just spending time above his nest. If we get too close, um, he'll dive bomb us. Um, sometimes they'll make contact with your head, so we wear a hat just so it um, knocks the hat off your head. And yes. I hold a stick that's so it's slightly higher than my yes, head? Yes, a brushy stick is good. We can hide, hold something like that that might scare them off. Otherwise I'll be waving my microphones yes. at them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, interestingly, one of the challenges that we have working with the forestry companies was well, quite a dangerous um, occupation, felling trees for a living, so they wear helmets. But we don't want falcons hitting helmets at 100 kilometres an hour because um, they can do damage to themselves um, hitting that you know, really rigid um, surface. So trying to sort of work within the forestry's health and safety so they can protect themselves, but if there's falcons in that area, not um, injure the falcons with the helmets. So what are you suggesting? Well, wearing hats, and if there's, usually really if there's falcons in the area and they're being attacked, they should be backing off those forestry companies. The forest companies that we work with, um, they're part of the Forest Stewardship Council, which is a consumer certification um, logo, so that if you see FSC on a newspaper or a piece of timber at the hardware shop, you know that that timber's been harvested in an um, environmentally sustainable way. Um, and also they follow, because there's so much timber harvesting in third world companies, they follow various um, issues around human rights too. But in the New Zealand context, we're interested in those environmental conditions so under FSC if a forestry company finds an active falcon nest um, then they have to cease all activity within a 200 metre radius of that nest. We're also though through this study sort of testing how well that works because 200 metres is relatively close Um, it hasn't been well tested so it's something we're trying to learn more about and the forestry companies are really interested in learning more about because they definitely all seem to be in love with the falcons. We'll go a little bit closer. More or less, if the falcons attack us, I think we'll um, assume that it's still active and leave these guys to it. We know what's in the nest. Um, There's three eggs in there a couple of weeks ago. We don't expect that to have hatched yet, so we won't go to the nest and sort of cause unnecessary disturbance if we don't have to. But we'll just go a little bit closer and see who, what, what happens. Yeah, so that's the male Males are much smaller than the females. Um, the male has a higher pitch call than the female, so she's a much more larger, robust animal and has a deeper call because they increased body size. So he's calling and flying around above his nest, so we can assume that this nest is um, still active, and I think we'll leave these guys to it and go off to the next nest and make sure that one's still active. And not have to risk my head. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> We're really interested in visiting the nests regularly to have a good idea how well nests are surviving, so how well the nest is actually living to the point where the eggs actually hatch and the, the chicks leave the nest. We visit regularly, so we have an idea of when the nest fails, if it does fail, um, i.e. at the egg stage or at the chick stage.
Falcons so, nest right on the ground. I was going to say, just clarifying, they do nest on the ground, yeah, don't they? Yeah, in the North Island, well, and bush falcons will nest in epiphytes and things, so up in trees, but um, falcons, eastern falcons um, down in this part of the country are all nesting on the ground, so it's just a simple scrape on the ground. Here comes a bird lookout. Yeah. Oh, here comes a falcon. Here we go, yeah. <laughs> just zipped over the top of it. I think we've got both parents off the nest, so we will um, back, out, back away just so they don't get too, too yeah, worried. So, and so we don't get dive-bombed again. But we've got a nice flyby by the male, and he might be coming back again. Okay, we'll leave these guys to it. Is that him coming back again? Yeah, here he comes again. Oh, yeah, so there's the male and the female. Here comes the male. There we go. Straight over the top. God, they're very acrobatic, aren't they? Yeah, they're amazing flyers, you know. They're such a fascinating bird. They're just so capable. They can fly through the bush at you know, 100 kilometres an hour. And they're, they're interesting in the such that they're an ambush as well as a pursuit predator. So they ambush prey, but they also just chase down prey. And I think these clear-cut areas really um, helps with that um, foraging strategy. They can chase after, especially introduce passerines, so introduce songbirds, um, chase after them and, and get them for dinner. What about rabbits and rodents? Yeah, they pick up some rabbits, but most of what we're seeing in the nests are birds, really. Yeah, I guess we haven't seen much evidence of mice. We know they hunt mice during the harvesting activity, um, and I suppose the sort of remnants of mice might not be so cons- as conspicuous as feathers in the nest. We haven't done any diet analysis yet, um, but certainly we'd expect them to be taking mice. Lots of blackbirds, lots of chaffinches and greenfinches, and starlings and things like that. Yeah. We're well away from the falcon nest now. So how many falcon nests do you know of in this area? Oh, this season we're up to about 12 so far, um, but we've averaged around sort of 24 the, like, the previous two seasons. Um, we know there's definitely more falcons around. It just takes a little while to find them and then to find their nests, and we're limited um, by our survey effort, really. This project runs on a pretty small budget, um, and we know there's more out there. So we've just driven away from that first nest. We've come down to where there's another one to check. It's getting windier. And on the way down, there was a harrier flying on the side of the yep. road. Can you tell me easy ways of telling a harrier apart from a falcon in flight? Sure. I mean, a harrier is much bigger, whereas a falcon's more the size of a magpie, so a much smaller bird. They flap a lot more. Harriers will soar in the wind. Um, when you look at harrier wings, too, that when their wings are fully outstretched and they're soaring up in those thermals, you'll see sort of fingers coming off the end of the tips of the wings on Carriers, whereas um, falcons don't have that. Yeah, much more of a rounded um, wing and more of a rounded tail. Yeah, and they'll usually flap a bit more. So they'll do some soaring, but a lot more flapping. Okay, now what's the pier we're going to check out here? So we've got another pier. This is the third year in a row we've had a pier nesting in this area. At the moment they've got chicks and we're just making sure that that nest is still active too. So if we get close and the pier um, are aggressively defending the area, again we'll back off. We see stoats and ferrets in these forest areas, feral cats, pigs. We know dogs are coming through with pig hunters sometimes, um, even though they're not supposed to. Um, potentially hedgehogs. There's all sorts of predators on the ground. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I like the fact they give themselves away. They just announce themselves. Yeah, they let you know it's probably not a good idea to get any closer. At the moment they've got three chicks in a nest underneath a log over there. So how many different types of falcons do we have? Uh, Well, based on morphology, four types have been recognised. Genetics, they're all pretty closely related, really. So genetically, they're all seen as a single species. 
yeah, with different morphologies, really. The, the birds down in, which are often called eastern falcons in this part of New Zealand, are just bigger, essentially. But from what can, we can tell, um, they have much smaller territories in the pine plantations than they, than they do in native tussock areas, so grasslands, or native forest. How big are their territories? That's one of the things we're trying to work out, actually, from this. We're not sure exactly um, because we're not radio tracking any of the birds. So those sort of observations are just based on seeing a bird wherever it is at any given time. But this nest is about just over um, two kilometres from the last nest, so in a straight line. Uh, So they're pretty close together um, in that regard. And we've got a number of nests. We're in the sort of coastal um, hills that run in between the um, Otago coast and the Tairi Plain. We've got a number of nests of pairs that are, um, their nests are about two and a half kilometres apart. So we're very lucky in this study, um, whereas I've set set up the study, but we have a woman, Shifuyu Horikoshi, who works on the project every year. Shifuyu did her PhD up in the central North Island in Kaingaroa. So when we're looking at that comparison between sort of forestry management and how that can... Um, be negative or positive for falcons and the forestry management down here she's got that direct comparison having had five years in Kaingaroa and now three years down here. In all of Chifuyu's years of working on falcons she's never seen aggression um, between adults um, which I find fascinating you've got this incredibly staunch and capable bird, very powerful and they don't seem to have actual physical conflict between peers or at least it hasn't been observed yeah so so what's going to happen to these birds as the pines here start growing? So at the moment, yeah. it's pretty bare, it's perfect for them. Yep. Um, in 10 years' time, this is going to look quite different. Yes, yeah, and probably less than that, it'll become undesirable for the falcons, I expect, within a few years. And it's not just the pines coming up, but also the sort of the scrub um, and all the other weedy material coming up. That seems to be enough to um, send the falcons away too. Um, so then, I guess it just depends on what other real estate as such is available to them. So as we're looking north from here, um, we can see there's a whole heap of mature, mature pine trees on the um, ridge in between here and the Otago coast. And that forest will be harvested in the near future. So I suppose um, as this becomes unattractive to the birds, they'll go looking further afield. And in theory, I guess they'll be um, setting up camp in some of those other areas. That's what we want to learn about by banding these birds, by putting rings on their legs or or bands um, and marking them as individuals. Um, We hope if the study continues, and forestry companies that we're working with seem really enthusiastic to keep on trying to learn about falcons and how they can improve their management to benefit falcons. If the study continues um, and then we uh, we can survey other areas, we might then find, say, this pier all of a sudden, oh, heck, well, here's this pier that nested for three years in this area. Now they're five kilometres away um, in a new clear cut over there. So we're trying to learn about those movements too through the landscape. Are you getting interest from the forestry staff and what you're doing? Yeah, so that's one of the amazing things. And Chifuyu is a brilliant biologist, but she's also just fantastic with people. She makes huge efforts to get forestry companies involved, and not just the forestry companies, but they contract companies to do the harvesting also, or weed spraying and other things like this. And she's, those um, people have constantly been invited to come and help out if they want, especially around when we're capturing the birds and banding the adults or taking the chicks from the nests and banding them. Um, we ask people to get involved, and um, we've had huge enthusiasm from the companies. Um, The last nest that we um, banded um, at the end of last breeding season, so in February, we put out the call to the forestry companies. If anyone wants to get involved, they can come along. And at 7 o'clock in the morning on a rainy Sunday morning in Mosgiel, we had seven carloads of people come out and follow us up into the back blocks of Mount Allen and give us a hand with the banding. For us, we just thought that was fantastic. I mean, the the objectives of this project are very much scientific, um, but bringing along sort of that um, cultural learning, I suppose, about the falcons and getting some emotion involved um, is, is hugely important too. 
So you're pretty confident these ones are still on a nest? Yes, yeah, we're really confident. Yeah, definitely. They're defending that area well. Um, we won't go down to the nest um, right now because we don't want to disturb those chicks more than we need to. Um, we'll probably come back in the next week or so and check the chicks and ban them if we can. So the female is just, giving, just flying at us now. Here she comes, nice and low, letting us know that we should move out of the area. So we'll leave her alone. We're a good 300 metres from the nest, though, so we're not causing too much disturbance. But let's leave her to it. We'll go check in another nest. So we've got one more nest to have a look at. So yep. tell me about these birds. Yeah, so this is, a, again, the third year that this pair have nested here. So what stage is this nest at? We're not sure exactly with this nest. So, so you'd the, like to check it out? Yeah, we're hoping to go all the way to the nest. Um, so Alison's got her hat on now. Yes, thank you very much for the loan of the hat. <laughs> Um, so we might get harassed a bit by the parents because we're harassing them. So we, we found the nest about 10 days ago, um, and I found the female in a cavity underneath a bunch of pine slash. And she I couldn't tell exactly what she was doing, but she looked a bit panicky, and she may have been in the early stages of laying. So I didn't want to scare her too much, so we just backed away. And in theory now, if she has laid eggs, she'll be more sort of fixed on them um, and more secure on them, and we won't cause her to abandon by um, approaching the nest to find out what stage is at. Last year, we think this nest actually failed due to introduce mammalian predators. Um, the nest was empty when we went to check it, and it should have had eggs. Uh, but the first year, they were successful, so hopefully they're doing okay this year. Will they re-nest if they fail? Um, it seems like they will re-nest, yep, depending on when they fail and what, what sort of at what stage and how far into the nesting season it is. But if they fail fairly early and it's still early in the nesting season, then yes, they will re-nest. Oh, it's getting a bit tricky to talk and walk. Yeah. <laughs> so we are now racing the weather. Yeah, it's trying down. to rain. If this rain does sort of stick around or become much heavier, we won't go to the nest because we don't want to um, cause the female or the male um, to leave the nest um, if it's raining. So they take turns incubating? They do, they take turns incubating, yeah. How long do they incubate for? Yeah, so the incubation is about, well... 30, 35 days, and the entire nesting period, the chicks could fledge as early as 60 days, um, or, or up to 70 really. Um, but then the chicks will stay with the parents in the general area for um, quite some time, um, a number of weeks, um, or months actually. <laughs> yeah. And then they've got to go and find their own territory. And then they have to find their own territory. That's what we don't know much about and is hard to find. We'd love to know where the juveniles disperse to um, and where they set up camp. We've only recited a, um, a few of our um, banded juvenile birds. Um, and those have all actually been quite close to their parents' territory, so close to the natal territory. But we suspect some are just going much further afield. We're just not detecting them. Although worldwide, it seems like most falcons, what's known about falcons generally, um, is that juvenile survival is quite low. So probably about 75% of them don't make it through their first year. Um, we don't have good data for New Zealand falcons, but running on that, there's only about one out of four chicks will actually turn into an adult um, once they leave the parent's nest. And it probably just reflects how difficult it is to learn how to be a falcon um, you've got to learn how to hunt well and hunt plenty before those cold, that cold winter weather comes. Um, and also the good, good spots are probably taken by established adult peers. And so you probably get moved along quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Okay, so that's probably the female. It's just come off, I think. It looks like the female. Sounds like the female too. Bit of deeper, a deeper voice, a bit yep. bigger. 
So we, we want to go now check where she just came from and find out what she's got in there. So, there's so a, she's probably going to get more and more upset as we get closer. There's a pile of slash yep. she shot out we'll from. We'll do it fairly promptly. If you lose your hat, just bend down and pick it up again and put that on. And often they'll just come very close to you here. Here she comes. Right. You want to come have a quick look? I'd love to come and have a quick look. And we'll leave her around. So the rain has come, per perfect timing for the rain, but the nest is very well covered up. And this is a classic nest. You see, there's the three eggs in there. Oh, right. So that's just what we wanted to know. So she must have just been about to lay when we were here last time. Um, so now she's got three eggs in a very cosy little nook. That the weather would have to be really coming. It'd be hard for weather to get in there anyway. So. Okay, and she'd like us to leave, so yeah. let's go. She's quite upset, so we'll leave her to it. Okay. I'll follow you. Okay. How endangered are falcons? Um, well, they were when we started the study, um, which is just three years ago now, they were listed as a vulnerable listed species, so, which is the same threat classification at that time as yellow-eyed penguins. So we were quite concerned about them. That's sort of the third down from the top in our threat classification category. They've been downgraded now, so as far as we know, the situation for falcons is better. Although not a, not a huge amount of data has gone into that, um, and I think it certainly is the case that there's uh, more falcons around now. But we've also got a case of um, more sort of aware observers around to record falcons, so they're probably being detected at higher rates. Um, but certainly it seems like the species is increasing. But that said, we have no population estimates from anywhere in the country or nationwide. The only population estimate for New Zealand goes back to a PhD done in the 1970s. Um, we have no population trend data for anywhere in the country. And so by population trend data, I mean what's the population doing over time? Because fundamentally from a conservation perspective, we want that population to be stable or increasing, not decreasing. Um, so that's part of the idea with this study really, just to at the most basic level have an idea about how many falcons are in this greater Dunedin area and come up with a baseline estimate and in 10 years time or 20 years time somebody can come back and do the same thing and we can have an understanding of what's happening with our falcon population. And this study is going to be ongoing? Um, so we're coming to the end of a three-year period now, um, and that's just looking at the basics, sort of um, how many of those nests that they're laying on the ground, um, or those scrapes are actually surviving, and the, the chicks are fledging. Um, so that's one of our key objectives. Um, and the other ones have been looking at um, the population estimate, as I mentioned, and then putting bands on adults to look at adult survival. Um, and so that's individually marking those birds. And three years isn't enough data to um, analyse survival and to have an understanding understanding of how long adult male and female falcons are surviving. So at the very least we'll go past this just for resurveying the areas that we've marked birds and if we have to um, we'll fund that ourselves um, but at the moment we're feeling very encouraged by the relationships we have with forestry companies so um, Juanita and City Forest here in Dunedin have fully backed us and now we're working with a third company that are um, throughout the country but we've been dealing with the Southland office um, and all those companies are interested in working with the project more what we're looking at once we get past sort of that initial descriptive stuff is saying okay well this is current 
um, forest management, how is that working for falcons and for forestry? And, and perhaps what can we change which might make negative interactions between forestry harvesting and falcons um, improve? So manipulating the environment potentially, leaving a row of mature trees perhaps, so uh, making a clear cut more attractive because you leave that high vantage points, which makes it a more attractive nesting area. So we're just sort of playing around with some of those ideas now and really enjoying working with the forestry company. So hopefully we'll keep on going. Thanks, Graham. That was Graham Parker from Parker Conservation. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 13th of December 2018. All our stories, as well as written features and useful links, are at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, you can also sign up to our free email newsletter, which tells you what's on the show each week. You can subscribe to us as a podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Radio Public. There are plenty of RNZ podcasts to listen to. I'm really enjoying William Ray's New Zealand history podcast, Black Sheep, and the short satirical comedy Go Ahead Caller with host Ken Oath. Stay in touch with us. We're on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks for your company. Bye for now. Kia pai tora. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.